Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the eighth episode of the Essendon Board Big Footy podcast for season 2021. I'm your host, Sponsor34, and I'm joined again by the Grizz for this evening's podcast. How are you, the Grizz? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, always doing well after a win over Hawthorne. Lifts the spirits up, which is good. Now, I just realised I called you the Grizz. I'm not going to call you the Grizz for the entire evening. You will get called Grizz. <laughs> That's all right, then. Um, and we have a new time uh, podcaster joining us in Kip Tastic, who we will refer to as Kip. How are you this evening, mate? Thank you very much for having me. I see you've driven right through the bottom of the barrel and hit bedrock to find me, but hopefully I can be of some interest to the viewers and the listeners. I don't know if I'd call you the, the bottom of the bedrocks. We've got Sporno uh, coming on next week. We'll call him the bottom of the bottom of the barrel, and we'll see if he's been listening, because if he's been listening, he'll be able to heckle me about it next week. But we will jump straight into yesterday's game. As Grizz said, we did get a fabulous win, 13-point win over Hawthorne, which is always much love. Grizz, I'll swing to you first, mate. My, my first thought out of, out of yesterday was we sort of had to grind grind the win out yesterday, which is something that the Essendon of yesteryear probably wouldn't have done. We, we go into a game expected to win. They grind us down to their level we stick with them but we never get over the top and then and then they eke away with the the, the close win whereas the other way yesterday they ground us down to their level we grounded out and actually came away with the win so i thought that was very pleasing yeah it was good to finally see us sort of buck up and win a game that wasn't on our terms generally um we, we don't like a lot of contested possession we'd like the ball to be out in space with forward handball um but hawthorne as you know, Alistair Clarkson coach teams generally tend to do is they put the game on their turns and they slowed it down to a crawl either in the contest or through slow kick mark. And you're right in the old days with, you know, we're down in Tassie, it's cold, we're not getting the game on our terms. We probably just pick our ball up and go home over the last 10 years. But it was good to see us sort of um, lift the intensity and toughen up in that second half. I mean, we learnt in the first half we were throwing an extra man at the contest and um, they were just intercepting every loose kick we did forward to centre. But again, we sort of smartened up and toughed it out and we matched them inside 50 forward one-on-one uh, -on -one and in that last turn, the ball just sort of freed up and we sort of got the game on our terms and we looked a better team then. But yeah, I, there was definitely some Essington vibes happening halfway through that second quarter when Hawthorne came back. I thought, oh no, here we go again. But I think that's just a sign of Rutten, Rutten's Essendon at the moment is that we're far more willing to tough it out. We saw it against West Coast. We got back in the game against Richmond before we got pummeled in that last 10 minutes because we're just you know exhausted but yeah it was it was great to see us tough it out and that's good signs going ahead yeah i agree with that toughing out especially when we you see that there was a lot of players with down games you know you know you wouldn't have said that someone like a redman or a laverty or you know even parish or merit who i'm sure we'll get to later you know didn't have their best games but um and then obviously things like hooker and right were basically invisible for most of the day but we just you know, we just kept fighting. We had enough individual brilliance from a, from a stringer, from a hind, and obviously Harry Jones with the rising star to just keep with them. Um, it sort of went goal for goal for the middle of the game. And towards the end, our class showed. Obviously, Hawthorne are well coached, but they don't have the most, they don't have the most enterprising players. And so once we wore them down, we were able to kick away and, and get that match winning lead towards the end of the game. And Hawthorne are a well-drilled side, and I think we saw yesterday that, you know, as you just said, they don't have the, the greatest squad in the world outside of you know, Mitchell and Amira, and even then I'm a bit iffy on, on how good those blokes really are. They don't have a great deal of A-graders running around at the moment, especially with Sicily missing. But we will, after talking about how we grounded out and didn't have the game on our terms, I, I will swing to a positive here, Kip, and, and that is Jake Stringer. Now, he was sensational yesterday. I, I'll just reel off his, his stats 
quite quickly here. He had 29 disposals. He laid seven tackles, which is huge for him. He he kicked four goals. One, he uh, had 687 metres gained, which again seems high for him. He had 12 score involvements. The 12 score involvements, if you consider that we actually scored 21 times, he, he was involved in more than half our scoring. He was phenomenal. He was just untackable. I mean... You think about the, the players in, in the whole entire AFL that could play a game like that, you probably count them on one hand. You know, you, you dust, the obvious comparison is Dustin Martin, but maybe a Bontempelli, maybe a Petrarca. Dugowie can probably do that once every two years when he's not worried about court dates. So, you know, that was incredible. And you just you just saw the way he just he just wanted to win, like more than any other player on the ground. He just wanted it more. He'd have three or four people hanging off him. He'd still get the handball away. Although, you know, some were a bit questionable. Uh, we won't complain about that. And then obviously just the way he willed some of those goals, the soccer kick forward, and then, you know, the Euro Euro 2020 finish. And then that last one where he, he just um, did the don't argue and managed to somehow bend it around. I just, that whole way that goal was heading heading towards the sticks, I just thought there's no way that's going through and it just managed to sneak through. And I think that just that willingness to, to get through the contest and, and be a presence all over the ground. We ha- probably haven't seen him do that for an entire game before. We've had bits and pieces, you know, he, he goes into the middle, he he breaks he breaks the lines, and or he can have a really good game forward. That's about the most complete game he may have ever played. It was just incredible, incredible to watch. Yeah, and I think what was, for me, really interesting about Stringer is that he spent a lot of time up the ground on Sunday. And I think, you know, with McGrath out, Caldwell out, Sheil out, we've had those two out for a while, but... We're really down on midfield troops, which is probably why we're throwing an extra number at the contest early. But, yeah, Stringer went in there a different period to the second and third quarter. And on top of all the stats Bonts just uh, ratted off, there's also he had 18 contested possessions for the game, which is a game high. He had more than Amira, more than Tom Mitchell. He had six clearances. He had 10 inside 50s, again, another game high. He was just driving force out the centre at times too. And and generally when he does that, he gets pretty gassed forward to centre. But you can tell he's getting sort of at the top of his fitness now and he's able to run games out and just dominate really from the centre line onwards as opposed to just inside forward 50. And he's probably, I would say, if you were to line up the five best players in a one-on-one situation inside forward 50 in the competition, Stringer would be right there. Like when he's got his men one-on-one inside 50, the opposition's freaking out. And I mean, those stats are something you'd get from AFL Live 2004 on your Xbox <laughs> back 15 years ago. That's mm. unbelievable type game. And I was just sort of thankful he was playing for us. And, you know, he's out of contract. Just if you play like that every, play like that every week, you'd pay him whatever he wants. But um, uh, it, it's interesting going forward to seeing what he's priced at. But when he does something like that, you just, you can't let those players go. No, exactly. I mean, you can argue it was only Hawthorne and, and the like, and, you know, we've got Melbourne and Geelong coming up in the next two weeks, so you want to see him do it against then. He doesn't have to produce, like, that sort of game, you know, every every week. But if he can do those sort of things on a more consistent basis, then, yeah, you, you're probably looking at, you know, paying him that 650, almost even 700000 a year if you could guarantee that performance over four years. Yeah, I just would like to take this time to mention that, that Darrow did want him traded uh, earlier in the year. I did tell him that I'd give him a shout-out on the podcast, and he's probably <laughs> listened to the first six minutes of this intently, waiting to see when I throw it in there. Um, the other oh. thing I'd just like to point out about about Jake is the 29 touches he had yesterday is actually his career high. It's equal his career high. He had just got 29 previously, did it in dream time at the G in 2018 against Richmond when they thumped us by 71 points, and he was a... A highlight in a very poor night that night. But other than that, 22 touches is, you know, third highest. Um, 
So he doesn't usually get a heap of touches, but yeah, yesterday he was just unreal. And these days that fend off goal in the in the last quarter was just something special. And then the commentators did go ballistic. But a, another player the commentators did lose it over when they kicked a goal was Nick Hind in the third. And, and Grizz, she's I, I I'm loath to make the comparison because I I like to think of him on his own merits, and I don't want to think about him as you know the Saad replacement. But if you compare him to what Saad was being given Carlton, we've come out pretty well at the moment, considering we got pick eight for Saad. Yeah, look, that's that's looking like a real win at the moment, particularly how um like I loved Saadi when he was here, but he's not the Carlton's not going great, and he's got a lot of bad presser for them at the moment. But what I loved about Nick Hines' game was two things. The first is he actually had ten intercept possessions, so he was defending first, then running, which. You see a lot of halfbacks fly off the halfback line, run to the wing and get cheap possessions. He was winning genuine one-on-ones, hard balls inside defensive 50, which was a real credit to him. And when you can tell that that's a real cornerstone of Truck's game plan at the moment is that defenders defend. Then when you've got the ball, feel free to split and attack head of the football. And, and what I like about Nick Hind is commentators like to talk about bravery in football and there's backing back with the flight and putting your head over the football, but being willing to run and being brave enough to leave your man like he does, trust your teammates to cover and just leg it upfield. That goal he kicked running from defensive 50. You know, he could have got that cheap stat out the back and just stopped there, but he bravely took the run on and split the middle of the field. And when the game was slowing down and Hawthorne was turning it into that sludge sort of contested possession kick mark slow game he was the one guy on our team probably other than stringer that was breaking that zone purely just by you know getting the ball and splitting and a couple of times it came off not so great got caught a couple of times but for the eight times that he does get that line break and gets it forward of the football you take the two times he gets caught he's just probably the he's the the best pickup in the afl this year for what he's producing for what you give up for him, the best recruit of the year, and it's not even close. What are St Kilda supporters thinking? Looking looking at him, thinking, you know, they probably didn't even pay attention to when he was um when he was traded. They didn't obviously didn't use the picks. And then to see what he's producing, um, especially when someone like St Kilda is, you know, crying out for some dare. I mean, you've got to ask questions of their list management, but that's it's not a St Kilda podcast, so we will stop there. I mean, it's basically all Australian form. I mean, I know they don't usually give all Australian form, all Australian nods to players who have a, you know, a really good um, season. They usually like to build up, but there's not many halfbacks doing what he does. I mean, I know we make the comparison to Sard a lot, but he kind of makes me think of more like a Connor McKenna who grew up playing football. So he's got, not only has he got that, that line breaking speed, he really wants to take the game on, but he's also got that, that footy smart. He's just, a, he's obviously someone who's grown up playing football, knows, knows when to go, as he said, you know, knows when to, knows when to do the hard things. He's obviously come up through the VFL, um, missed a lot of that pathway stuff. So he's had, really had to grind to become this sort of player. And so that really shows in in his work ethic. You know, he knows he has to work hard. He can't just do the flashy stuff. And it's a real point difference. And as, as we sort of said, you know, Hawthorne trying to grind the game down, really lock it down. But when you've got a player like that, that can just break through his own, you know, that's when that's when teams like Hawthorne fall apart because they just don't have an answer to it. Grizz, well, I just want to come back to what you were saying about his bravery and his willingness to run off and attack and back himself in. I mean, one of the ra- main reasons he's able to back himself in is because of his speed. He, he's got that, that pace that he just, he's got pace to burn. And he's one of the few players in the AFL that could probably give his opponent a 15-minute head start running back the other way. And you would be confident he's going to be there shoulder by shoulder by the time the ball gets to them. And we've seen it this year. He's, he's chased multiple players down running back towards goal. So it's bravery, absolutely. But at the same time, it's just ultra-confident. 
confidence in his ability, isn't it, really? I mean, that's just something that I think, as you do a saying, Kip, you can't really teach. It's just what you grow up with. Yeah, and I, I would say that that's absolutely true. Like, you've got to have pace to use it, and he knows he has it. So short of it being, you know, Jason Johannesson on his tail, he's probably just going to leg it and take the risk that he doesn't get tackled. But Nick Hind can only be Nick Hind if there's a Matt Guelphy or a Dyson Heppel rolling back to cover his man in case there's a turnover, which I think is really important. You see, like, for Richmond, when Jane Short goes, it's Kendon it's McIntosh splitting back from the wing to cover his man. You know, when Tom Stewart or one of those guys go from Geelong, it's Ken Guthrie or it's, you know, Sam Managoa folding back to cover their man. It's a real... If you want Nick Hine to do what he does, which he does so well, it's a team task of making sure you're covering in case there's a quick turnover like there was a couple of occasions where he got caught. I think you make a really good point, with, especially with someone like a Dyson Heppel. He's probably... He's copped a lot, a lot of criticism unfairly this year. Yeah, he's not the same player that he was, but he's still a very smart footballer and he does all the team things that you want him to do, not just because he his captain but because that's what his role and responsibility is he's been safe as houses basically he's probably you can probably count the missed kicks on one hand across this year everything else like whenever he's involved in a contest he almost always wins it or halves it and as you said it gives players like a hind or like a redman that opportunity to run off and do that exciting stuff because it just gives them the confidence that they've got protection back there and I was happy you mentioned the Matt Guelphies and the Dyson Heppels of the World Grizz because I'm going to use that as a segue to move to from the fastest player on our list to probably one of the slowest players on our list. That is the man that returned yesterday in Sam Draper. Now, I'm probably <laughs> one of the few on the board, and I suppose there's actually probably more of us than I realise that haven't brought into the, the massive hype that seems to be surrounding him at times. He's been a very, very, very good VFL ruckman, but as we know, there's a big difference at VFL level to AFL level for rucking. And, and whilst he's been solid at AFL level, I don't think I'd seen him play a game like he did yesterday and I think he was playing the Max Gorn role yesterday, uh, Kip, and that is he was going behind the play he was taking the mark he was he was intercepting, he was punching, and that's what Max Gorn does. And I, and I think that's the prototype we're going to have to hope for Sam Draper because he's definitely not going to be the agile, mobile, Brody Grundy type. He's going to be the Max Gorn who just has to rely on his positioning and football smarts to position himself in the right spot. Well, he clearly knows where to position. He, he was take, clunking those contested marks on the wing, cutting off the Hawthorne forward thrust, particularly in that first quarter. I think it was really noticeable. He, he took two or three big contested marks and really set up the the fact that we were in front and in the first quarters because partly because of him. And I, the thing I was most impressed with is he just, he just came back and he, he was fit. He was informed. He took 25 of the 27 centre bounces for the day. So, we, you know, I think we were on the board talking a lot about, you know, do we need Phillips to, to cover because he's probably not going to play um, a huge amount of game time. He played 82% of game time, took those centre bounces, was still performing towards the end of the game. And then you're talking about the impact Stringer had a clearance as well. Sam Draper had the most clearances on the ground. He had nine clearances. I mean, that one where he took it out of the ruck and ran forward, if he'd gone through and kicked that goal rather than try to hand pass it to Langford, I think <laughs> I think the whole um, stadium would have exploded. It was almost the most amazing piece of play. But I think just the most important thing about him is just he just gives so much energy to those around him. I mean, if you've seen the video of him um, celebrating in the um, circle after the game for the song, the players all love to play with him. I mean, who wouldn't? Like, he's this massive man mountain who just got this big smile on his face, this big, dirty, great big mullet. <laughs> and he obviously gets around around the players and, and protects them. I mean, you've seen the way he tackles some players, um, seeing how he treated Nick Nat last year. I think next week up against Gorn, it's a huge challenge for him, but I think it's one he's really going to be keen to take up because 
as you say, Gorn is sort of the prototype for what he wants to be. And if he can take it up to Gorn and do what he does and match him, I think the sky's the limit for him. I think it covered most of what I would want to cover, except that I find with young Ruckman, half the battle, or half the secret to success for Ruckman, are they have to just be competitive. They have to be, if not mongrel, then the most competitive guy on your team because it's probably the most combative position on the ground when you think about, you know, 50 to 100 times a game, you're wrestling to jumping into a bloke, to tackling, to getting clearances. And he just looks like he wants the contest. He loves to throw his body around. He loves tackling guys. He loves the competitive side of the game, which I don't, you know, I think goes underestimated with Ruckman. If you were to compare the Ruckman of uh, the careers of being pole athletic or world athlete Ruckman and compared to the Shane Mumford's, the Toby Nankervis's, the Max Gorns of the world, the guys who are competitive and combative and big are the ones that generally end up lasting. And so I think we've got one there in Draper. I, I think Nane Curvis is probably my best comparison for him, like realistically. And Nane Curvis is a three times premiership Ruckman. So, you know, that's a good comparison, I think, because of his size and his ability to win clearances and, and beat guys up around the football. But yeah, it, it's really exciting. I don't think I've seen a more hyped, uncapped player before he debuted last year, but he certainly seems to be worth the wait based on the few games he has played. Wasn't he offered a four-year deal by the Saints prior to even playing a game. I think there's a lot of people who've seen seen the potential. We're pretty lucky that he um, he stuck fat with us. As I said, it's obviously that you see it with the young guys. I don't know how many of you follow them on Instagram, but they're they're always getting around each other. Um, they're really happy to celebrate each other's success. And I think he's a big part of that. He's a real driver of that that club culture, that bringing bringing the boys together and and sticking by each other. Well, there is another player that I do want to. I, I will, we will go positive just for one more player, and and that is of course the man that wore long sleeves yesterday, number twenty three, Grizz in Harrison Jones. Now I think it was five or six contested marks he he took in the end, but he's just his presence around the ground. And, and Hooker obviously stole one off him with his free kick that he got. But his presence around the ground yesterday was just amazing. And I think I have been fairly vocal on here saying that he's been good but he hasn't given us a four-quarter performance. I reckon yesterday was pretty close to a four-quarter performance. Yeah, he was a couple of um, wonky set shots away from having you know, a really good day out. He kicked two goals, one if he didn't shake that last one and didn't one of the worst, kick one of the worst helicopters I've ever seen in that first quarter. It would have been a great like a genuine 9 out of 10 performance considering the conditions. Um, I heard a really good judge. I think it was Jason Dunstall and Fox Sports say that the tell of a really good key forward, young key forward, is their ability to take contested marks in their first couple of years of football. And he seems like he has that pat. He's, you know, you hear the take the ball at its highest point, which is a bit of a, uh, a silly saying, but he takes the ball at his highest point. So at the highest point of his jump, that's when he's getting his hands on the football, which just makes it really hard to spoil. And that's really hard to teach. And he's already got it. So once he fills out, and he covered the most amount of metres or kilometres than anyone else on the field yesterday, 15.9, which is more than any other player, including midfielders on the ground. So he's got the work rate. He can take his tested marks. Once he fills out, he's going to be one hell of a player. And I'm always partial to a player that wears long sleeves. So that's good as well. I think that the point about contested marking is, is really good. It's not just that he's a good contested mark and like crashing packs and taking big grabs. It's He can time his time his run they were talking about in the commentary, how he has a little stutter step just to set himself to get the perfect leap. 
And like those contested marks he was taking, like they were in big pack situations. And he was just reading the flight of the ball better. I mean, I know this, you know, we've got these young key forwards, you're like, oh, just wait till they bulk up and, you know, can start um, contesting for the ball. But I'm not sure how much you want to bulk him up. I mean, as you pointed out, you know, he ran 16 kilometres. I mean, that's that's a weapon in itself. Like towards the end, like you saw in the fourth quarter, he was he was getting off the chain. He was he was getting free. He was playing on Sean, Sean Burgoyne for a bit. So, I mean, you can, you can argue potentially about the quality of um, defender in terms of just the fact that Bergen's obviously a quality player, but he's not a key defender. But the fact that he can he can run so far that he's the highest running player on the ground, I mean, he's going to burn off a lot of defenders and really be a, um, a big part of games towards the end. He's going to be a big factor towards the end of games. So you obviously put on some weight, but you probably don't want to turn him to, turn him into the next Kale Hooker. You want him to be, you know, more of a Nick Rewalt type. Yeah, I think the Rewalt comparison is apt, um, but... I will just quickly, Grizz, we'll, we'll swing our attention. and I'll, We'll go a little bit negative here, and we do loathe to go negative on this podcast. We have genuinely been positive. And I'm going to start with Devin Smith. Now, I, I actually still like Devin Smith, and I think there is still a spot for in, in our team for Devin Smith. And, and I can't remember who said it on the board yesterday, but somebody said, because he's not the only one applying pressure now, what he's not doing the other way stands out a lot more. Mm-hmm. He used to be one of the few that would run run his ass off, so you'd allow him a little bit of leeway. But that push in the back free kick had to be one of the dumbest free kicks, and he, it's not he's not alone. Matt Guelphie, the fifties that Guelphie gave away two fifties yesterday for umpire abuse. Now. I know some people think, oh, I'm a little lenient on umpires, and, and I admit that I am a lot more lenient than, than a lot of our posters on the board. But at AFL level, to give away two fifties in a game for umpire abuse is unforgivable. Sometimes our players seem to forget that they don't need to cross the line. Push the line by all means, but cross it. And yesterday, Devin and, 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 Matt, and Matt were the two offenders for mine. Yeah, I don't think you're being harsh. One of my pet hates is abusing the umpire because... You say you say to juniors when they play all the time, no good can come from it. Like you're never going to change their mind, no matter what you do. The only possible thing that you can do is make the situation worse. So I have no issue with going hard on Guelphie for those. I think with, with Devon, from what I can tell, it looks like he's lost a yard of pace just over that first 20 meters, which means the pressure he puts on is just that little bit slower than he'd like, or when he was in 2018 when he won our best and fairest, but. Um, and when you're not feeling great and you're coming back from injury and the game's just a bit too quick for you, I think he'll get there. But when he comes back and um, he's just not in the form he wants, you get frustrated. And unfortunately for Devin, when he gets frustrated, he doesn't always channel it in a productive way. Sometimes it's a cheap 50 or it's just going to, yeah, it's going to be a cheap 50 or a push in the back to to cost his team. And I think with the amount of injuries we've had to our midfield, he probably stays in the team regardless, which I don't really like You want to be there on merit, but I think, unfortunately, uh, yeah, it, it cost us three clear shots on goal on the weekend. Pushing back led to a goal by Kajitski and 250s led to points, I think, by Kajitski and someone else. And in a game that's decided by 13 points, you can't be doing it. You can't shoot yourself in the foot the way we did on the weekend. Yeah, so, so Kip, I actually have a theory about uh, Devin Smith, and, I, and I'll just put it to you. And it, it sort of goes back to what I was saying before about the fact that he's not the only one that does that high-pressure 
defensive work at the forward line anymore. Is he the kind of player that he he needs he needs to be a standout or something? He he puts a lot of pressure on himself, so he needs to feel that he's dominating one area. And because he's not doing that anymore, he's starting to try and do too much in other areas. For example, he's seemingly every time he gets the ball, he's he's just taking a flying shot for goal. That shot that he took that led to Kale's goal. Now we got a goal from it. That's great. But that was one of the worst decisions I've seen. He it was <laughs> yeah. off. He was off balance. He's 50 meters out. He's got a bloke that's clearly within smothering distance, and he tries to ping for goal instead of going for the hands backwards or, you know, the smart kick. Is he the kind of player that thinks he needs to dominate? And because he's not leading the way, I suppose, in that forward pressure room, he's trying to do it either through his physical intentions or through his attempts to kick goal of the year, seemingly every possession. It's hard with Devin. I mean, he set such a high standard when he came here that, that first year, as you say, like he was that real pressure forward. And like, and obviously he won the best and fairest. He was the best, he was... You know, he was getting wrote, written up in the papers. You know, he's the best tackler in the league and things like that. And then obviously the injuries hit. And you see a lot with players that get, get a lot of injuries and start to slow down and they can't quite do the things that they used to. And then they start, you know, they start to become undisciplined or they start giving away the free kicks and things like that. And as you say, like, he, he has got a bit of that, you know, look at me about him. So like, he's kicked some great goals, but, you know, you see, you see from his reaction how much he loves, he really loves the idea of... Um, being that hero, kicking, kicking those hero goals, doing that big, those big hero moments. And as you say, the, the, the kick that led to Kale's goal, that was, you know, he was he was already preparing his celebration, turning to the crowd, hands in the air, you know, look at me, how good I am. I mean, he still has the possibility to be a very good player, but when he's bad, he's just horrid and he just makes it worse for himself with those, those poor decisions and those, you know, the late, the cheap shot sort of thing. So I don't know. We're obviously missing Snelling. I think the last couple of weeks probably quieted a lot of the Snelling um, doubters about just about how much we miss him. Mm. I mean, Devin at his Devin at his best is a better version of what Snelling's been provided, but he's nowhere near his best at the moment. Now that's oh, oh, we'll, we will just leave uh, yesterday's game behind for now and we will switch to to the coming week and we'll quickly touch on the Melbourne game so what are we most looking forward to this week they are at the moment the yardstick of the comp they are the top of the ladder they are the team that, that everybody wants to beat for mine Grizz I'm very interested to see how our midfield stack up I mean Parish and Merritt by their lofty standards were relatively quiet yesterday I think they still end up both having 25 odd touches each so I'm very interested to see how they go against Melbourne star started midfield in Oliver and Petrarca and obviously at the feet of Gorn what are you looking forward to most out of this coming this coming weekend. Yeah, I'm looking to see how we stand up against who I think is clearly the best team in the competition in Melbourne. And what made Melbourne so effective is not only their clearance game and their midfield, like you touched on, but their structure behind the ball is almost second to none in the competition, maybe behind Geelong. And so if we do what we did in the first half, against Hawthorne and partway through the third quarter where we just kick the ball blindly out of a contest. Melbourne going to pick us off. So I'm really keen to see how we attack the game plan, whether we bring the pressure and bring the heat. If we don't, Melbourne are just going to plough over the top of us. So see if we come ready to play, if I can use that parlance. Um, and to see who stands up in the midfield. So they've got James Harms, who does a pretty good tagging job, and he'll do one of Merritt or Parrish. Who steps up and helps the other one out in the midfield? Is it Stringer? Is it... Perkins goes in there. Is it Guelphie, Ham, Heppel, whoever it is? I want to see, you know, who's up for the fight on the weekend because Melbourne are clearly the best. So I want to see really where we are in the pecking order. Yeah, I think looking at Melbourne, obviously they've got they've got really good lines, lines all around the ground. But I think their defensive line has been the most solid. And I think looking at the performance of our forward line on the weekend, we really need big games from players like Hooker and Wright to really make your Stephen Mays and your Jake Leavers accountable. If we can make them accountable, 
then it does come off a lot of that intercepting game you're talking about. I think we have the top-end talent to match them in the midfield. We're probably we're going to struggle with in terms of the depth, but if, obviously if we get a string of performance like we did last week, then that, that helps mitigate that a bit. As I was saying earlier, Gorn versus Draper, I think, is a mouth-watering prospect, and I think could be one of the matchups that people look forward to in the next few years. And then I think, actually, I think our defence will match up pretty well against their forward line, but I think the match is probably going to be won, as always, in the midfield, but also um, how well our our attack can match their defence. So I'll get I'll get your tips and I'll and I'll stick with you, Kip. Now I'll just jump in and say that I'm tipping us to probably lose by four to five goals. Uh, I think they're just a bridge too far for us at the moment. But what's your tip? Do we stand a chance? Well, if you go by Melbourne's form, they're only losing to teams outside the top eight. So I think we're a chance because of that. <laughs> um, just for that. So I'm rushing to put my bank account on them right now. Um, it's hard because I mean we've got this game, this game, the Geelong game, and I think the Dogs game in the next remainder of the season and I think are the ones that we're almost certain to lose. But I feel like we're going to snatch one. And just looking at those three teams, I think Melbourne may be the one that's the most vulnerable to our style of play, potentially. So I'm going to go with, I'm going to call a two-goal win to Essendon, but I'm most likely to be wrong. Oh, that is bold. Mate. If you're right, we're going to have to have you on for every podcast for the rest of the year and have you tip Essendon. It's It's a fool's hope. Okay. But there's, there's always hope. Yeah, my tip is I think we'll match them early, but uh, I think their power and their depth, like Kip said, to the midfield is pretty strong, and I think they'll probably do a Richmond in that it'll be close to the first maybe three, two and a half quarters, and they'll probably work away late. I'm tipping a six to seven goal win by Melbourne, but um, certainly no admirers lost by us. Well, lads, I think that's just going to about call, call us for this, this evening. Uh, so thank you both very much for coming on. Uh, Kip, I hope uh, we didn't scare you off too much. No, I um, really enjoyed it. Hopefully I've um, added some value and you'll want to have me back sometime. And Grizz, thank you for stepping in as our uh, experienced podcast member this evening. No worries, mate. Thanks for having me. Now, unfortunately, we didn't quite get to the topic Amy asked us, which was where does Zerk Thatcher fit into the the side? Um, I'll just quickly say I think he only fits into the side at the moment if there is an injury to Laverde, Stewart or Francis. I don't see us being able to play all four, despite uh, East Dog's best wishes and I also <laughs> there is I did have a conversation there has been a bit of conversation about playing Draper and Phillips and I'll just quickly jump in and take responsibility and say that is not a possibility because you cannot play right Draper, Stringer, Jones, and Hooker all in the one forward line. It just is too big and too slow. But now I've had my rants and managed to end the podcast with my thoughts only. Uh, that will do us this evening. So if you are looking to jump onto the podcast, as Kip has done this evening, he will tell you that it is a quite a easy and memorable experience. We are not too harsh at all, although I think we did have some fun trying to get, get him on earlier. But once again, thank you very much for listening, everybody.